Well, we are in a series on Acts, and we have been using um, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 as our guide as we kind of cover through this uh, series. Uh, if you have a Bible, uh, there's one in front of you if you don't have your own. Uh, if you don't have your own, that one is our gift to you. Um, many of you have other kinds of devices. You're welcome to uh, find the book of Acts there and follow along as we kind of cruise through. Um, now, um, if you've kind of been tracking with us, you know we're doing a six-week series on the book of Acts, and so far we've made it just past chapter four of 26 chapters, and so, um, uh, and Steve actually preaching a few weeks ago, he said, you know, by some miracle, um, we're gonna get towards the end, and I'm here to help us do that today. <laughs> um, okay, so if we, if we think about this, uh, verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So week one, an introduction to the book of Acts, kind of we were standing on the edge of the diving board, our toes were just kind of hanging over the edge and we were kind of testing out what it was like to bounce. We kind of dove in week two talking about the power of the Holy Spirit uh, week three, we were talking about the essential part of the power of God in us is to be witnesses. Um, as we traveled through from there, we went to week four talking about um, Jerusalem. What was the early church like in Jerusalem? Where they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit came in power and they began to see some exciting things happen. But, uh, and I, just last week, Doug talked about um, being in Jerusalem, that perhaps Musha is our Jerusalem, it's the place where we're central to, this is where we're local to, this is our place, our people. Um, and he began to talk about what we need to reach Jerusalem. How did the early church see that happening for them? He talked about the spirit began to bring boldness, hunger for the word of God, prayer, community, generosity, even signs and wonders. There was an inner transformation that was beginning to take place that was leading to some exciting developments in Jerusalem. But Jesus said we would receive power and be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that today we're gonna to pick up the pace. We're gonna zoom through um, several chapters. So uh, if you haven't had the chance yet to kind of read through from um, you know, chapters one through say about 10 or 11, uh, I welcome you to kind of dive in and do some of that reading um, this week. Uh, we have 30-day devotionals that will take you through the book of Acts. Um, perhaps you've got one already at home and you haven't cracked it. It's not too late. It's never too late. It's okay to dive in and start now reading with us and studying. There's lots in Acts, and I hope that you're getting lots out of our series, but perhaps there's more for you as you dig into the book of Acts on your own. Um, so um, as we're kind of zooming over the next few chapters, we're gonna highlight a few moments uh, and you can, for homework, go back and see many of the other moments. Now there was um, favor in Jerusalem for the early church and there were many new believers added daily. There was, but while this was happening, there was growing hostility and persecution that eventually led to some prison time for the apostles and the martyrdom of Stephen, which you can read about in Acts chapter um, uh, five uh, and six, um, six and seven. And uh, as we're moving through this, um, we kind of begin to see that the uh, believers start to spread out from Jerusalem because of the stoning of Stephen. Now some Bible timelines um, place Stephen's martyrdom 
around two years after the cross. Um, on that day, this is Acts uh, chapter, uh, or sorry, uh, Acts chapter eight, verse one. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Now, two years after Jesus gave instruction, wait for power and then begin to spread the gospel to Jerusalem and from out there to the ends of the earth. But two years later, it's still largely localized to Jerusalem. So far as we know, there wasn't any initiatives to send anyone. Of course, there had been people who were present at Pentecost um, who you know, became believers uh, when, when uh, Pentecost happened. Peter was preaching. There was believers who weren't from there that kind of spread out. But so far as we know, the church didn't have any initiatives to go yet, and it's now two years later. If it wasn't for the death of Stephen, would they ever have gone? Would they ever mobilized? Were they stuck? Perhaps they were quite happy with the kingdom of God being just in their own hometown. This was the center of their whole world. But could they see beyond it? They had received power. Perhaps they were still thinking too small. Now, it's difficult to know exactly why they hadn't left Jerusalem. Was the death of Stephen God's plan A for mobilization? Or was it plan B or C? Did it finally come to the point of persecution? Or could the believers in Jerusalem have mobilized sooner and experienced more years of favor? Perhaps the men who mourned deeply for the loss of Stephen thought if they had only mobilized earlier that Stephen would still be on the team, leading the charge, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, we're not going to, you know, spend all of our time kind of pondering this question. It's kind of hypothetical. But let us consider this. Are we stuck in our own comfort zone, happy with what is familiar and content to keep the kingdom of God small on the earth? For the believers in Acts, it didn't matter if it was plan A, B, or C. Their circumstances had changed, and now they were on the move. It seemed like a heavy blow for the early church. But it was also the next phase in God's plan, because here the gospel goes to Judea and Samaria. It spreads beyond Jerusalem. In every heavy blow, you experience there is a next phase of God's plan. Your circumstances might change for the worse. You maybe won't see it coming. There might be nothing you can do about it. But you will experience a heavy blow. Some of you have already felt the brunt of it. Some of you, it's just around the corner. And for some of you, it might be a long way off and you need to pay even more close attention if it's far off. God has a plan. On our own, we don't see all of the dynamics in play. Even if we could see all of the things that we needed to, we don't have the wisdom to make the right decisions or have the power to make a difference. So you can worry and distrust him, or you can choose to look to him and trust his plan, knowing he is who he says he is, that he has a plan that is good and perfect because he is good and perfect. It was the death of Stephen that mobilized the church, sending believers in every direction, preaching as they went. It was the death of Jesus that brought salvation to all mankind. Somewhere in the heavy blow, 
there is the next phase of God's plan. You might feel like you're on plan B or C or D, maybe plan Z, but God has a sovereign plan to work out in your life. I don't understand how he does it, but through all of our plan B, C's, and D's, he is working out his plan A, his sovereign plan. He will bring about something better from all of our failures, something more beautiful from all of our ugliness. He will bring healing to our brokenness. Find hope in him and preach wherever he scatters you. And verse four of chapter eight, those who had been scattered preached the word um, wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Will you be like um, Philip, ready to preach wherever you go, wherever God scatters you? Uh, there was a series on evangelism or sharing your faith uh, by a church called The Meeting House out in Toronto. Uh, in this series, they used this phrase several times over, and it stuck with me. They said, when it comes to evangelism, Christians need to blurt Jesus. I'll explain kind of what I mean by that. So if you grew up in church uh, around Sunday schools, uh, you know, young ch- uh, children learning about um, faith, learning about Christianity, um, if a question is asked, very often the answer is Jesus, right? Even if it was, um, who was the young boy who killed Goliath? Jesus, right? And, and, um, and they, they just are good at blurting Jesus. Now, this series on evangelism encouraged adults as we grow up to continue to blurt Jesus as the answer because he is. Now, who ultimately gave the young shepherd boy David the victory over his enemy? Jesus. David didn't know that Jesus was was going to bring the real victory for his people by dying on a Roman cross several years, centuries into the future. He didn't know how it would all play out, but standing on that battlefield, staring at Goliath, through faith, he looked forward and blurted, Jesus. He said to Goliath, the Lord is my salvation, and he threw that stone that dropped Goliath to the ground. So you might be standing on your own battlefield right now. You've got five stones in your pocket, and you're ready to swing, but it's not a nine foot tall giant. It might be a health issue that's facing you or facing a coworker. Maybe someone in your class might be trouble in your family. It might be a close friend who's going through a divorce. It might be an atheist asking big questions about the meaning of life and purpose. You're on a battlefield just like David. And the answer isn't a bold young kid and some royal tactical gear. The answer is Jesus. Now don't for a minute minute think that the answer is simple. Um, The atheist might need several years worth of conversation and prayer, but a great way to start is to blurt Jesus and then continue the conversation. The more you talk about Jesus, the more you praise his name, give thanks to him, trust him, look to him to guide you in every moment of every day, people are going to see that Jesus is, is the answer that they're looking for.
So practice blurting Jesus, you know, in any situation you find yourself. I promise you that you will have a conversation, perhaps even this week, and you'll have this opportunity. Someone is going to have a baby, and you're going to say, Jesus, and then continue the conversation. Someone is going to have a car accident, and you're going to say, Jesus, and then continue the conversation. Someone is going to hurt you deeply, and you're going to say, Jesus. Someone is going to be watching you closely, and you're going to say, Jesus. Because ultimately, he is the answer. Now, he's not the shepherd boy who threw the stone, but through him, we can trace the story of David's life all the way through to the person of Christ. And sometimes we just need to start with Jesus, and from there, we can go to all the different areas, the different struggles that people are having, and lead them, uh, again, um, closer and closer to Jesus. So wherever you are scattered this week, preach the word wherever you go. Preach Jesus. Now why was going to Judea and Samaria such an obstacle? When Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, I think some of the disciples heard, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Jerusalem will slowly expand to overtake all of the other ridiculous cities, countries, and people. They didn't really have room in their thinking for other nations and their culture and customs coming into the kingdom of God. They thought God was going to make the world more Jewish. These were all Jewish people. They thought God was going to make the world more Jewish. And instead, God was trying to make the world more human. Not only human, but truly human. And through it, make every nation and culture more distinctly more distinct and unique while bringing them all into his kingdom's rule and reign. But as we've seen, it took them a while to get going. And it's easy for us to get caught in the same trap, to get stuck. Now, the Samaritans weren't highly viewed by the Jews. As you read through the Gospels, you get to see this. Jesus' disciples asked him plainly if they should pray that fire should come down and consume them, destroy them. In John 8, um, Jesus is called a Samaritan and demon-possessed as an insult. He corrects them and he says he's not possessed, but that he brings honor to his father. But it's interesting to note that he actually doesn't say that he's not a Samaritan. Jesus also uses a Samaritan as the one who most truly demonstrates what it is to be a neighbor in the parable of the Good Samaritan. In his exhaustion, Jesus takes time to speak to the woman at the well in John 4. She was a Samaritan. The disciples had witnessed Jesus' kindness and acceptance of the Samaritans, but still the idea was a difficult one. The idea that a Samaritan could be good and neighborly was a foreign concept. It would have been very difficult for a Jewish believer to expect that naturally the gospel should go to Samaria. They should be filled with the Spirit, baptized that their new identity in Christ was also shared by a Samaritan whose views and practice and existence were not appreciated by most Jews. In light of your circumstances, who in your world is a Samaritan? Not in the sense of the good Samaritan, but in the sense of the you demon-possessed Samaritan. One whose views or practice, whether religious or political, perhaps as it relates to human sexuality, or as it relates to sports, or music, or child rearing, or smoking, or ethnicity, just rubs you the wrong way. 
Are you prepared to bring the gospel to them? Are you prepared to see them accept it? Are you going to lay hands on them so that they can receive the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives so that by the transformative power of Christ, they will begin to live their life in a way that brings honor and glory to Jesus? Jesus said the harvest was ripe. Most times, we don't reap the harvest because we do not see how ready it truly is. Do you often evaluate people as being far from God? Or instead, do you perceive how God is drawing them to himself regardless of how far off they seem. See through these new eyes and blurt Jesus. Now, as we continue in chapter eight of Acts, we see that the gospel coming to Samaria through the preaching of Philip, uh, there's two different conversion stories and the Holy Spirit being poured out on Samaritans through the work of um, Peter and John. An interesting character in the middle is Simon the sorcerer, Simon the sorcerer who had been dazzling people with his sorcery for years. He hears the gospel, believes, and is baptized. But through an exchange with Peter about purchasing the right to lay hands on people for the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's revealed that his heart is not right before God. He has some bitterness and sin to deal with. It seems that he receives this warning from Peter and submits to God's work in his life. On this note, I just say the Spirit of God is not a trick nor is the power of the Spirit to be used for personal gain. Be careful of the motivations of your heart. Um, Dangerous motivations like fear or pride in a sinner is bad enough. It's even worse when they become religious people. Be careful of the inner motivations of your heart. Be careful that your old ways don't inform your new life in Jesus. We have uh, Set Free coming up this November. Uh, I'm not sure what the process was for Simon the Sorcerer to deal with his heart, bitterness, trust in money, but Set Free would have been a great place to start. It's simply time to set aside and reflect and repent, more deeply understand yourself in light of who Jesus is and what he's done. If you have areas in your life that you know are holding you back, you need to register for Set Free. Another interesting character as we continue uh, is the Ethiopian eunuch, a man who traveled some distance to find the God of Israel, but had been turned away by the religious leaders because he was a a eunuch. Um, Philip finds him reading the Old Testament, shares the gospel with him, and he's immediately baptized and sent on his way back to Ethiopia, while Philip carries on his way preaching as he goes. The harvest is ripe. Now, you may not find someone reading a Bible in a chariot asking, who is this person I need to be paying attention to? So you can say, oh, Jesus. That might not be the circumstances you find yourself in. But it will be right on your way from here to there, in your school, in your office, beside you at the game. Right next to you is someone who is a conversation away from beginning their eternity with Jesus. Also, the Ethiopian didn't hesitate to be baptized. He believes and says, look, there's water. Let's do this right now. I just would encourage you, don't let anything stand in the way of your next step of obedience. Maybe that is baptism. Maybe that's set free. Maybe that's a conversation with somebody. Maybe that's praying with somebody here today. Don't hesitate. Don't let anything stand in the way of your next step of obedience. 
Now, in Acts chapter 9, you can read all about the dramatic conversion of a man named Saul or Paul. Now, some people think that this man used to be named Saul and now is named Paul, that it was a significant moment in his life because of his conversion, but it's simply the way that a Greek person would say it and the way that a Hebrew person would say it. It was just the form of the name. Um, For example, and I apologize to anyone who is French-speaking or French descent, or just I apologize to all of you, actually, with this. Okay, here we go. To an English person, the name Jeremy is pronounced Jeremy. For a French person, the name Jeremy is pronounced Jeremy, right? It's different. (laughs) Or perhaps for an Italian, the English person would say David. An Italian might say Davide, right? It's different. It's just the same name. There are significant places in the Bible where a name change happens and it's significant. Uh, The meaning of the name even shifts to something because God's work in their life. This is just not one of those cases. We just like the alliterated sound of Saul of Tarsus and Paul the Apostle, but it's just the same name. But anyways, you can read all about him in chapter 9 of the book of Acts. As for us, we're going to continue on to chapter 10. So if you've got your Bible, you can again continue on with me there. Um, We're going to spend our remaining time in uh, chapter 10 and 11. Now, throughout these chapters, as you go through the book of Acts, um, you see lots of places named. And we don't, many of us don't understand what those places are, where they were, why they were significant. But it is the movement of the gospel going from Jerusalem into all of these other areas, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth because in the end of Acts we see the gospel going to Rome, the very center of power and and politics in their known world. That was the very center. Rome was the big deal. And the gospel is right there. Paul is there and he's preaching it. And from there people are going out and reaching to the ends of the world. Um, um, But... um, the spread of the gospel beyond the Jewish people or the half-Jewish people, the Samaritans, to the Gentiles happened because of one man praying during lunch. Don't underestimate the power of taking time out of your day to pray. It could change the course of history. See, the gospel reached Mushja in 2016 because someone prayed over his lunch hour. So in chapter 10, we read that Cornelius, a Gentile, someone who is not Jewish, has a radical encounter, and he sends some trusted men to retrieve Peter, this man over in a city called Joppa. Peter is in prayer and has a vision of some off-limits foods for Jews. He exclaims that, exclaims that he's never eaten anything impure or unclean, and the Lord speaks to him and says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Now, if you know Peter's story, you know that for him, some things happened in threes. He denied Jesus three times and then watched uh, his friend Jesus die on the cross. Later, the resurrected Jesus appears to Peter, um, serves him some breakfast on the beach, and he asks him again three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And he asks him to respond in a number of ways. When this happened in three times where this... um, This food shows up in a big sheet. Peter's watching. Happens in three times. I think it had Peter's attention. Now, because of this, um, Peter um, is um, moved in the spirit. Uh, Some men, again, from Cornelius' house show up. Uh, 
Peter feels like the Spirit is leading him to go with them. He does. He shows up in this Gentile's home. He enters it because of the vision and the perspective that the Lord had given him. And uh, he preaches to them. And, be- and because of it, they uh, hear the gospel. They believe. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're baptized. And all of this and the wave of Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus um, that spread to the center of their world in Rome all the way through to us and around our globe to many different places um, is because of a picture that came to Peter while he was in prayer. Those of you who've been to our prayer summits or had the opportunity to uh, go to our Hearing God seminar, you've heard us talk about, again, listening prayer. Prayer is a conversation. Prayer isn't dialing, leaving a message on the answering machine, and then hanging up, but this conversation, and so we also must listen. And so we talk about a great way to start with listening is to, again, ask God something to pray uh, to him, ask a question, and then wait for he might speak to us through a word, a thought, or a picture. Here we see Peter seeing this picture. Um, My challenge, again, to you is every single moment of, or every single day, would you take a moment to listen and see if God is speaking to you? And you might be surprised that a word, thought, or a picture will come to you. And you can have conversations with other believers about that to see if that's uh, a significant thing for you to to do or follow through on. Um, Now, as we get to um, chapter 11, we realize that Gentiles receiving the gospel, being filled with the Spirit and baptized, came as a shock to the other believers. In fact, Peter was with a few other um, Jewish believers and the in the moment, they went, what's going on here? We don't really know what to do with um, all of this. Uh, then uh, in chapter 11, the apostles and believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, um, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them. Now I'd like us to take a moment to look at the role between Peter and his faith community. The faith community or his church, he said, hey, what was up? And he responds in this way. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 4. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. Now, I believe the faith community or church has the right to question us on how we live, how we share the gospel, our inner motives. I believe that the church should have that right. Some of you are uncomfortable with that idea, perhaps because you've had bad experiences. Maybe you have a distrust for the local church and you keep yourself at a distance. I've grown up in the church, and I know how mean church people can be, how out of touch, how stuck in their ways, how judgmental. Now, in this particular instance, they criticized him. Uh, Perhaps that's very negative. Perhaps it's maybe not as negative. I'm not entirely sure. Perhaps it's non-judgmental, simply inquiring. But perhaps they actually are asking out of the wrong reasons. But regardless of how tactful or exasperated the question came. I believe they had the right to ask. And note how Peter responds. Peter doesn't respond to their question with a hostile answer about them not trusting him or making accusations about how they hate Gentiles. Instead, he takes them to the beginning and he tells the whole story. So here's uh, a couple of hypothetical stories to kind of wander down this path. These are kind of just chosen at, at random, so I'm not trying to poke on anybody or, or anything saying that. So anyway, so hypothetical. Michael, a Christian, a part of a local church, gets a Harley. He starts wearing leather vests and boots and cruising up and down Main Street, often, by, often accompanied by a few other characters riding Harleys. 
he starts missing more church events and spending more and more time with his biker buddies. He's seen coming and going from a local pub and it starts to make some of the other in the church or in the faith community nervous. Or perhaps uh, Jordan, a Christian high school student, makes the football team, moves into the center of popularity due to his skill on the field, and more, he's now present at many of the parties that come along with a successful team, or a bad team. Um, And the busy schedule of football doesn't allow him to continue his volunteering at the church, and the friends that he was so often seen with at church don't seem to be around anymore. In both of these situations, and many more you could come up with, it's very difficult to tell someone's motives. Are their motives pure? Now, have you ever seen someone heading towards relevancy with a certain crowd, and it was causing destruction in their life? It can happen. Perhaps Michael didn't have the money for that bike, only bought it because he was having an identity crisis because things weren't going well at home. The time away riding should have been spent at home working things through, and the pub brought back a bad habit he thought that he had kicked. Perhaps Jordan said YOLO, and then realized for the next several decades of his life that there is a cost to drinking or sleeping around, separating yourself from the community of faith. You only live once, but life is long, and experiencing the consequences from some decisions early on for a lifetime is not appealing. However, perhaps Michael was at a prayer summit, and while with a group of trusted friends in prayer, he got a picture, and it was as vivid as Peter's vision, but it was a Harley. He prayed for weeks about the vision and trusted that if, um, if it was something from God, that God would provide the bike. One of his clients ended up not being able to make a significant payment and offered him the Harley instead. Michael's wife said, this must be from the Lord, and told him that she'd be praying that he make some connections with some local bikers as he was cruising around. Every Thursday night is open mic night at the local pub, and Michael reads from the Psalms. And so far, he's led three friends to Jesus. Jordan becomes the valedictorian and shares the gospel at his grad party as he has done at every party he has been at since he started football because of the vision that God gave for him. He had favor with his classmates, and he's going to take that same sense of urgency to share the gospel to university. It's very hard to understand someone's motivations, and that's why it's important that the community of faith, the church, is allowed to ask questions about our life. That's why it's important that we have life groups. That's why we read the Bible together. That's why we pray together so that we can stand together, make a difference together, reach the ends of the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ together, and don't forget about the better together food drive. Get your team together. In community with other believers, be in community with other believers who can question your motives. And if your motives are pure in reaching people regardless of what cross-section of society they are in, Um, take people with you on the story. Take them to the very beginning. Tell them what happened, how God led you. Um, Talk about how the voice of God was speaking to you, what vision changed you. Tell them at each moment when you uh, felt very specifically led by the Spirit, show them the fruit along the journey. And after Peter had told them the story, though they started perhaps criticizing him, after Peter's told them the whole story, in chapter 11, verse 18, They had no further objections 
and they praised God. Allowing the community of faith to ask hard questions and answer honestly from beginning brings glory and honor to God. Now, uh, one final thing. As we continue in the book of Acts, the gospel continues to spread throughout the world. Uh, more and more Gentile Giles, um, become believers, and now you have this mixture of Jews and um, Gentiles in the church. Um, in chapter 15, there is a council meeting to discuss how difficult it was to bring different people together into the church. There was great difficulty in establishing um, what was required of Gentile believers. They were trying to answer, how Jewish do you have to be to be a Christian? Now, you can read this uh, on your own time, the difficulties that kind of developed. But right in the middle, there's a very brilliant response, I believe, by uh, James, the brother of Jesus. In Acts chapter 15, verse 19, it is my judgment, this is James, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now, it takes a great deal of discernment to differentiate between what is essential to Christianity and what is merely a part of Christian tradition or Christian culture. Do you know what I mean by that? Any group of people together long enough develop certain collective habits. Some are intentional, others are unintentional. Dressing a certain way, talking a certain way, eating certain kind of foods, avoiding, avoiding certain things. Canadian Christians are different than Chinese Christians who are different than African Christians. I'm heading to Toronto for a wedding this week uh, to some friends that I knew from when I was living out in Toronto. And when, when I was living in Toronto, I realized that even Ontario Christians are different than from Saskatchewan Christians. And we're, of course, better. <laughs> Actually, a great way... Now, sorting through all of this is... Uh, difficult. Um, perhaps a good way to approach it is to listen to a Christian comedian. If maybe you've never had the chance, but uh, if you've heard a Christian comedian, why they get away with what they do is because they poke at all of the non-essential things, for the most part. All the things that you can make fun of are probably not the essentials in many ways. Now, sorting through uh, the differences, establishing what's essential what's merely Christian tradition or culture. It sounds exhausting. Many of you are like, blah, 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 culture talk. I don't want to do it. But it's an incredible challenge that we must face. If you can find a new believer who loves Jesus and sit down and have a conversation with them, they will tell you all of the things that we do that are weird and unnecessary. <laughs> they will see it long before those of us who have been around church for a long time. They'll see it. They'll go... That doesn't make sense. I mean, I'm learning about Jesus, and I know I don't know everything, but what does that have to do with Jesus? And again, they should be allowed to ask those questions, and we should respond and have our motives truly revealed. There are things in Christian culture and tradition that are actually making it difficult for people who want to turn to God. Just like in the early church, those things exist today. Are there things that are merely Christian traditions or Christian culture that you kind of do all the time, that are making it difficult for somebody who wants to turn to God? Uh, Christmas, for example. There's lots of things about Christmas that we call Christian, and perhaps not everything in there is. Perhaps it's not actually even essential. Did you know that actually 
the first time somebody really celebrated Jesus' birth, I mean, I know that it's, in court, it's recorded in the Gospels and people were aware of it, people were excited about it, celeb- you know, happy about those kind of things. The first real celebration of Jesus' birth was 300 years later. Um, it wasn't common in Jewish custom to actually celebrate birthdays, so it wasn't a big deal. They didn't, that wasn't a thing that they did. There's other things that would be on that list, and I, I will leave it to the Holy Spirit to speak to you about what perhaps those things are. What are you hanging on to that really you don't need to? What are you making an obstacle for somebody? Okay, we're going to quickly review, and then um, lots of you have some reading and homework to do. In every heavy blow that you experience, there is a next phase of God's plan. Blurt Jesus. Preach wherever you go. Start with Jesus as the answer. Even if you don't really know how exactly it fits, start with Jesus and continue the conversation. In light of your circumstances, who in your world is a Samaritan? Someone that you disagree with politically, maybe someone who you have arguments about, human sexuality about, someone who just rubs you the wrong way for any number of reasons. Who is your Samaritan? The harvest is ripe. Let's have eyes to perceive how people are being drawn towards God, not just simply notice all the reasons why they seem far from God. Don't let anything stand in the way of your next step of obedience. Don't underestimate the power of taking time out of your day to pray. The faith community or the church, I believe, has the right to question how we live, to question our motivations, and I believe that we actually need that from the church. So be in community with other believers who can question your motives. And we need to be diligent about sorting through what is essential to the gospel and what really isn't. What can we set aside for the sake of someone who's turning to God? As we finish today, um, the worship team is gonna come back and lead us and uh, we're gonna all stand together and sing um, a song called The Same Love. Uh, In this song, um, the bridge says, you're calling you're calling, you're calling us to the cross. And as we see the message uh, in these chapters of Acts, that it was difficult for the gospel and the people to spread from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, but what wonderful things also began to happen, that it spread all the way through time and distance to each one of us who have been able to experience and know his love. Would you play a part in bringing more and more people into the kingdom. Let's have a grand vision of who God is and a grand vision of what he can accomplish and how far he can reach to the darkest soul. Uh, Let me pray for you and the worship team will lead us and we can just reflect on how God is offering an invitation as he did from the very beginning to all of us. Father in heaven, I just wanna say I'm humbled I'm so grateful that you intervened into my family line along the way, that along the way um, someone preached the gospel and um, my family heard it. And my life has changed because of it, the life of my children. And uh, 
Father, I'm so grateful, and so many of us here have experienced your goodness, your faithfulness, your love and kindness. Father, help us not to be small-minded and make things difficult for other people who would turn to you. Help us not to get stuck in what is familiar, content to see the kingdom of God on earth small, but help us to have a very big vision, like your vision for reaching the world from Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the earth. In your name we pray. Amen. Please stand and join us. You choose the humble and raise them high. You choose the weak and make them strong. You heal our brokenness inside And give us life The same love that set the captives free The same love that opened eyes to see Is calling us all by name You are calling us all by name The same love that's 
I just want to encourage you uh, as you go, um, go think about your next step of obedience. If you do want to remain, to reflect, to pray, to again try listening for God's uh, voice on a certain thing, a word, a thought, or a picture, we invite you to do that here. We're going to make this place uh, a place where you can do that and ask that if you've got visiting to do, that you head out into the other parts of the building to do that. And uh, there'll be people available to pray if you want to pray. Uh, If you've got other needs, please, we want to welcome you to do that. Have a great week. You're dismissed.